always wonderful to have your company on the panel. Uh, NZ National, Wallace Chapman with you. We are on iHeart, we are on Apple and Spotify if you've missed the show. Now, I have to mention this because this is wonderful and I don't usually do this at the top, but this is worth it. Thank you, Gary, for the lovely news of uh, Abbas Nazara getting married. A few years ago, I went to a talk he gave at Canterbury University, one of a series of lectures about his family's journey to the country, to New Zealand. When he told us he was a Tampa boy, everyone in the lecture theatre stood up and they clapped. His family were there. It was a very moving moment. So there you go, Gary. Mm. Um, now, uh, just uh, an update for you. Traffic-wise, ongoing slip activity in the Dome Valley means State Highway 1 will remain closed today and overnight between Wellsford and Walkworth. Paula Penfold and Gary Moore with me today. First up, a bombshell report into racism, sexism and class-based discrimination in English cricket has rocked the sport in the UK. The report by the Independent Commission for Equity in Cricket found racism was entrenched, quote-unquote, in the English game. Women were treated as second-class citizens and cricket was a rare option in state schools. Half of the 4,000 people surveyed said they had been discriminated against in the past year. Both the England and Wales cricket and national men's captain Ben Stokes have apologised for the discrimination faced by those involved in the game. To the people involved in the game who have been made to feel unwelcome or unaccepted in the past, I'm deeply sorry to hear of your experiences. Cricket is a game that needs to celebrate diversity on all fronts because without diversity this game would not be where it is at today. We must go further and be more inclusive and diverse because the game I love and the millions worldwide love should be enjoyed without fear of discrimination or judgment, whether that be due to your upbringing, race or gender. It was Kiwi-born English men's captain uh, Ben Stokes during a press conference ahead of the second Ashes test between Australia and England tonight. So does there need to be a similar look into cricket and other sporting codes here in New Zealand? That's the question we want to ask today on the panel. But first, we have Zoe George on this stuff's senior sports journalist. Kia ora, Zoe. Are you there, Zoe? Hi, Paula, and hi, Gary. Hi, Zoe. Hi, lovely to have you on. All <laughs> right, so it's been a long time coming for English cricket. Mm. A stunning report has gone global. Were you surprised with any of the findings? No. No, I wasn't. Uh, I mean, you could also transpose English Cricket Board with New Zealand or Australia. All of these things happen in sport, not just in cricket, though, but happen in sport around the world, including in New Zealand. And within cricket, I have experienced many of the things that are in uh, that report from the ECB. Some of those statistics are utterly shocking, uh, you know, when we talk about racism when they talk about 87% of people with Pakistani and Bangladeshi heritage, 82% with Indian heritage, 75% of black respondents say they've been discriminated against because of their race, that there's been a lack of satisfaction when it comes to complaints and the complaints mechanism, that women have been treated like second-class citizens and that they have been exposed to um, inherent sexism and misogyny and predatory behaviour that from men fueled by alcohol, that they've been underpaid, underappreciated and not given um, access to resources and funding and facilities and the list goes on. And then you've got the class element as well, where there's this old boys, uh, private school educated sort of top echelon that, that are in cricket. And the findings 
found, and this is, I find this so fascinating, that if you're a privately schooled, educated male, you are 13 times more likely to be a professional cricketer than, than someone that comes from state school. Mm. Um, cricket is an expensive game. And unfortunately, the pathways have been blocked from those uh, who do not have the money to be able to afford to plan participate. Uh, and that's not okay because cricket and sport is for everyone, no. not just for some. I know I've said that a lot, but yep. it's true. I, we'll, we'll go on our panel shortly, but it's a big call, would, would you not say, Zoe, to equate uh, this shock report to what mm. might be happening in this country or Australia? Well, I mean, here we are making some really positive steps already. A few years ago, New Zealand cricket looked at the state of women's cricket and found that there had been historic neglect of the women's game. They apologised and then set about rectifying that. We are seeing an increase in Māori and Pacifica participation. And this year, we had a schools age group tournament. And hopefully that will be something that will carry forward. We saw the closing of the match fees gender pay gap, one of the first nations in the world to do that for our women at domestic and international levels last year. So we are making positive changes. But that culture, that toxic masculinity culture that is driven by alcohol in which women um, you know, are targeted is still prevalent not only in cricket but in sport yeah. because alcohol and sport almost go hand in hand in this nation. Paula. I'm pleased to hear you say, Zoe, that there are improvements in terms of Māori and Pacifica access, if that's the right word, to cricket um, now because when my son was at primary school and starting cricket for the first time as a little Maori boy it, it's not a, an environment that he felt welcome in at all and as you rightly point out it's you know prohibitively expensive to get geared up for cricket in the first place so it's naturally going to kind of uh, warp the kinds of you know the demography if you like of the mm -hmm. game so I'm pleased to hear you say that there's been some progress but do you think that there's a lot more progress that needs to be made? Always, always more progress. And uh, actually, uh, just an FYI, New Zealand Cricket are currently recruiting for a new CEO. And of course, they want to hire the best person. And my hope is that they hire a woman and become the first nation, a uh, test playing nation to have a female CEO. It would be even better if that person was Māori or Pacifica as well. And I've definitely written about who I think should have that job. Um, with this and with every review into sport, this is not the end. This is just the beginning. So what needs to happen is that not only the ECB, but every cricket country in the world needs to look at themselves and go, actually, this is happening here too, and we need to address this properly. So are our complaints mechanisms up to scratch? Are we treating women properly? Are we giving proper pathways to those who may not be able to afford it or equal pathways? Are we ensuring that we are eradicating racism from our game? So I hope that New Zealand cricket is taking on board all of this okay. stuff too. Gary Moore. Oh, I find you really encouraging to listen to, Zoe, I, but I should add that... Um, not being mayor means that I don't have to pretend I like rugby or cricket. So that was, um, <laughs> I had that at the start. But I found cricket incredibly difficult to deal with. They, uh, we built them a beautiful um, pitch uh, in Aranui, which they never found acceptable. And after the earthquake, they sort of pushed their way back into Hagley Park. And I, I just think that um, the class system um, or the sort of ponciness of it uh, was... <laughs> You huh. never saw that in rugby, but but uh, it 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 always annoyed me. It still annoys me, and they keep trying to invite me to go to their their games in in Hagley Park, and so far I've resisted.
I've got to say, regarding that elitism, uh, Zoe, I mean, it's quite, mm. uh, we may see examples of it here, but gosh, reading about the English um, mm. uh, comparison, it's just quite something, isn't it? For example, some traditionalists are frothing uh, on course for the annual Harrow versus Eton match, as well as the varsity game between Oxford versus Cambridge to be replaced, get this, by a state score under 15s competition. Um, there's real pushback uh, on that. It's really regarded <laughs> as the top of the cream, isn't it? Oh, it really is. And here's another not-so-fun fact. The English women have never played a test at Lord's. That is their home ground, and they have never played a test match at Lord's. Uh, so it's not just those who come from state schools who haven't had this opportunity. But you are right, and it is prevalent in New Zealand as well. Some of our... Uh, private boys' schools have some of the best cricket facilities in the country. Um, Wellington College, for example, is one. Scots is another here in Wellington. And then you look at the schools in Christchurch, and there's bound to be schools in Auckland as well. And I really hope that they're opening it up to all of the communities to be able to use that facility, because cricket is for all, not just for some. And it is such a fantastic game. Uh, It's a game I grew up with. It's a game I love. And and I want (laughs) to see it do well. Good on you, Zoe. (laughs) Kia ora. Thanks for uh, your time today. As Zoe George there, uh, stuff senior sports journalist. Meanwhile, though, um, Paulette, your son enjoying cricket? Oh, no, that only lasted a year right. or two. Right, OK. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not so much. Anyway, 17 past four and news just to hand. The government has initiated the process for honours forfeiture in relation to Sir James Wallace. The 85-year-old was today named as the former rich lister convicted of indecently assaulting three young men. So that's the next step, Paula. Mm-hmm. And rightly so. Uh, of course, that honour should be forfeited. It, it, you know, there is a process for... Uh, anyone who's a, been awarded a gong of whatever description and is subsequently convicted of a crime to have that forfeited. It, it depends, I think, on the kind of nature of the crime and the level of disrepute, I suppose, that the system is brought into. But I'm pleased to hear that that's an immediate consequence. Paula Penfold, Gary Moore with me this afternoon. Now, health professionals are warning New Zealand's kidney dialysis system is at breaking point. A major report by Kidney Health NZ shows Aotearoa's 15 dialysis units are struggling to cope with growing numbers of patients. The Australian and New Zealand Society of Nephrology claims the report's stark figures show patients' lives are being put at risk. One in 11 people in New Zealand have chronic kidney disease, yet less than half are aware of it. With us is Professor Rob Walker, Head of Nephrology at Te Whataora Southern. Uh, Professor Walker, kia ora. Kia ora. Good afternoon, everyone. Good to have you on. That surprised me, actually. One in 11 people have chronic kidney disease, yet less than half are aware of it. Yes, that's correct. And that's probably a conservative estimate. So unfortunately, kidney disease is very silent. Most people have no idea that they have kidney disease. And the only way we pick that up is by testing the urine, looking for both blood cells in the urine as well as protein in the urine, blood test check kidney function and your blood pressure and they are the key measures that we need and as part of a routine health check for every individual and particularly those at high risk of kidney disease then that should definitely be part of an annual check or more frequently with those individuals because there's many things we can do early on when kidney disease is detected to minimize the risk of progression and hence minimize the need for kidney replacement therapy. 
Aside from those tests being carried out, is there anything, you say it's a a silent um, disease, but is there anything that you might notice in your own health that that would prompt you to ask for those tests to be done? In many cases, no, unfortunately, um, unless you've got other health conditions such as heart disease or high blood pressure that you already know of, if you have a family history of kidney disease or if you have diabetes. Yeah, Gary. Well, I was just thinking actually that this is yet another indicator of the health system failing, that the reforms haven't worked. Um, in the news just before, it was talking about Te Whataura and and um, I thought that the focusing in on procurement by the minister was just a sideshow, really. And I'm finding it fascinating um, to read what Ian Powell, who was the Association of Salaried Medical Specialists, and Rob Campbell, the SAC chairman, when they're freed of their previous roles, they're commenting refreshingly on widespread problems within the health system. And I, I say to those that are listening, you think of the people that you know whose operation has been cancelled. You know, and this is this is focusing in quite correctly on kidney dialysis at the moment, but it's everywhere. So, Professor Walker, what are of the main recommendation, recommendations? Uh, what would you suggest on this issue? How to address uh, this shortfall? Right. Well, there's several points. Firstly, this is not something that's just happened now. Right. This has been ongoing for many years. And as I said, kidney disease, unfortunately, doesn't get the limelight. We don't get any of the publicity that, say, cancer or hearts get and therefore just get ignored. So that's been an ongoing issue. Then to deal with it, there's two specific targets or main things that we have to focus on. And first and foremost is detection and early prevention. And that requires resources out in the community making ability to detect and screen individuals at risk freely available, which unfortunately, because people have to pay to go and see their GP and all the rest, that negates many people Mm. from actually accessing Mm. that sort of immediate early help, which would make all the difference. So we need a whole mindset change to address those issues. Then coming back at the other end with kidney replacement therapy, with dialysis, Again, our staff do an amazing job, and I really want to emphasize that, that despite these pressures, our staff are phenomenal and um, really make a huge difference. So um, I think, you know, it's just awareness, and there's lots of different issues. So, for example, training, making staff available. There are a significant number of individuals that would like to come from overseas that are well-trained technicians, good at dialysis, Um, making it much easier for them to get into the country and take up jobs here, paying our staff a reasonable amount so they don't want to go to Australia where they get paid a better amount. Mm. There's all those issues that have to be addressed. That's not just related to dialysis. That is across the whole board, I think, in the health service that we need to address. Um, And it's at that level, our dialysis technicians, our dialysis physiologists, our dialysis nurses, they need that recognition and support the amazing work they do. The next step is New Zealand leads the world, but we're starting to lose that, in home dialysis. 
that is where we send up, you know, train our people to do dialysis at home with full support, which then they means they return to their own towns. Oh, okay. They return back to work. They return to looking after their children or grandchildren and stay as active members of the community. Whereas at present, a significant number of people all around New Zealand have to travel distances to get to their dialysis centre, then do their dialysis, then return home at huge financial cost because, again, the NTA does not fund our patients to travel. It, it's crazy. You know, they, they get 25 cents or something after 22 visits um, per mile or whatever it is, on the, whereas anybody else hiring a car from the government gets 73 cents a kilometre as reimbursement for their travel Gosh. costs. So there's all this inequity that's going on that just hasn't been addressed to make it easier for our patients. And we could set up facilities in towns nearby where there's a need. So large parts of rural New Zealand, particularly in central North Island and places where there's a big demand, if there was appropriate facilities put in place in that local area, it would have a huge impact on the people living there. Rob, really nice to have you on the program. Kia ora. Appreciate your time explaining that. Uh, that's Professor Rob Walker, Head of Nephrology at Te Whata Ora Southern. Interesting, isn't it, Paula, in terms of the media, what gets, um, mm. you know, what gets attention and what doesn't? And he's right. Um, dialysis doesn't get so much attention, and yet here we are seeing the stark effects of that. Yeah. Why get it? Yeah. I, I was really surprised at yeah. those figures. But partly the issue probably is, as he said, it's a bit of a silent issue going mm. on, so it doesn't get the – you're not going to see the give a little no. pages, which are often yeah. what brings the attention to the sad cancer cases yeah. or whatever else it it's might be. 25 past four. Uh, quite a bit of response regarding uh, sport and elitism and what you've experienced. Um, my son's state school played cricket against Scots College a few years ago and were not allowed to use the Scots state-of-the-art changing rooms. Whoa. <laughs> My case rests. <laughs> and the coaches were aware, so it entitled. That's this person's opinion. We'll follow up on that, see if that's actually um, uh, accurate. But uh, nonetheless, um, uh, cricket was big in Whanganui Girls College in the 60s, a state school uh, and all. So uh, welcome uh, your thoughts. Mike says, don't get me started on polo. I've got to imagine. Polo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, don't get me started on on polo. Uh, where is that? Where is it gone? Uh, it's uh, it's lost in the midst of uh, the taxi. Anyway, wonderful to have your company. I want to come to this because there's already been some response. A popular restaurant in Perth, Australia, run by a well-known celebrity chef, John Mountain, has moved to ban vegans from dining after a dispute with a customer turned ugly. So what happened was that a diner after a dinner made a complaint about the lack of vegan options on the menu and was charged $34 New Zealand for vegetables. Mountain said it wasn't possible to cater to everyone all of the time. It is not a vegan restaurant and if customers want vegan options well they should go elsewhere. He said that all vegans are banned End of no more, never again. God help them. And I thought, Gary Moore, is he entitled? Is he right to do that? Or is it, well, it it's his restaurant? It is. It's his restaurant. I, look, I, I might be a heretic, but um, I've, I've had lots of debates with vegans, and, and they do get quite hysterical quite quickly. <laughs> and, and I... Um, okay. <laughs> but, no, explain. But, what's in? Explain. Well, 
they're, they're almost sort of, uh, it's like a crusade, you know, you're unhealthy and I'm healthy and I want this. Whereas uh, let's all sit down together and eat whatever we want to. And But this guy had obviously been pushed over the edge and, and he's probably gone too far, but what the hell? It's his restaurant and if you're, somebody doesn't want to go there, that's fine. You're saying good on him and yep. the vegans can go elsewhere. Yep. Oh, I mean, I've got no problem with them being vegans. Um, you know, <laughs> very, I, very generous of you, Gary. I, I, look, <laughs> I've got two of my four kids are vegetarians. Where'd I go wrong, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Paula, Gary's got no problem. If you want to be a vegan in New Zealand, Gary Moore hasn't got an issue. Just go and be a vegan somewhere else. <laughs> um, <laughs> he just sounds like the quintessential like caricature of a grumpy chef, doesn't he, this guy? Yes. And I think like, yeah. even just from a sort of business in marketing point of view, he's cutting off a significant and rising proportion of his own market, isn't he? I don't know what the figures are currently, but isn't it something like 10% of the population is vegetarian, not necessarily vegan? So Mm. it can't be that hard to have a couple of decent vegan or vegetarian options without having to have give them just vegetables for dinner. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's surely not that difficult. And to your earlier point about the sort of proselytizing um, that some vegans or vegetarians, you know, can be guilty of, Gary, I know lots of vegetarians and vegans, and most of them aren't like that. Most of them are actually the opposite, really long-suffering about the fact that there's often very little option for them and they just quietly eat their bowl of chips. Yes, I know. I know. I know. So, um, if you are a vegan listening, uh, Gary's described you as hysterical. Um, <laughs> what, what I'm going to be in trouble when I get you, home. What, I'm what would you say to Gary? Uh, is, is 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 it? I mean, do, do you often get that? I mean, um, is there something in the vegan mindset, Paula, though, that um, you, you limit yourself in terms of you're at this fine dining restaurant? by a chef who has worked along the sides of Heston Blumenthal. <laughs> and you're and rejecting his right. Wagyu beef. <laughs> <laughs> they tell he's taking it a bit personally, isn't he? Well, he's worked alongside Marka Pierre White, and you're a vegan, and you, and you rock up, and you want something else? Come on. <laughs> well, no, he's being precious, and he needs to move with the times. I mean, you know, I love a good I feel it personally, yes, but some people, some people don't. Right? I mean, the only time I'd ever have one would be at a restaurant, and then really, because they're incredibly expensive. But uh, some people don't for mm. health reasons or whatever other reasons of um, morals. So, yeah, he needs to move with the times. All right. As you can imagine, it, there's a really big response uh, to that. Uh, and we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll try and read some of that out uh, a, a bit later. Uh, but the latest on that is a, a refresh on that uh, story. Um, he, the chef has suffered, suffered a new blow. His girlfriend has broken up with him after the savage leg <laughs> dash. <laughs> uh, and, uh, she just had a hissy fit, didn't yeah. he? And she's gone, yeah. see you later. Yep. Yeah. She's vegan. Anyway, you're on the panel, <laughs> RNZ National at 4.30. You have uh, Paula Penfold uh, and Gary War Moore with me this afternoon. Wonderful to have your company. It's time for headlines.